Hello, Internet. It's Tori. You're listening to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. For updates on when episodes go live, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. To join the discussion, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash CosmereCast, where you'll find an invitation to our Discord server. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. Joining me this week are Craig. Hello, everyone. Dave. Hi. Weirdo. And Tori. What? Hello, Internet. <laughs> and we start every week with good thing. So, Craig, what's good? Um, what's good is Dave doing a very short hello, and apparently that makes him a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> Not All right, my just turn. that. Uh, my real good thing, uh, I think it's... Wait, what did you say, Tori? I said not just that. Mm-hmm. Go on, Craig. That hasn't been mentioned yet for whatever weird reason, but I think this week uh, I'm going to give a nice little shout out to a game that we play called Hanabi. It is a great <laughs> game. It's a great game. I've <laughs> been so frustrated. I've been intentionally not having it as a good <laughs> thing because it is frequently not good. Okay, so hear me out. For those of you who don't know, Hanabi is a card game. Uh, it's a co-op card game where you're trying to complete a sequence of playing cards in a row based on what your hand is. But the trick is that you have no idea what's in your hand. You can see everyone else's hand, but you don't know what card is in your hand. And you have to clue and help other people figure out what's in their hand so they can play the cards in the correct order because you have to play them from smallest to largest. Yeah, the simplest simplest way to put it, um, as funny as it sounds, is it's co-op solitaire. Yeah. Um... So Mike and I and Dave play this game along with some of our friends. Uh, we have yet to get and Tori sinus. to play it. Who? And Sinus. Some of our friends and Sinus. Yeah. And Sinus. Yeah, that's true. Um, we haven't gotten Tori to play it yet, but maybe in the future she'll join us sometime. But but here's the thing. It's fun. So like Dave mentioned, it's sort of a, a co-op solitaire. But the neat thing is, uh, with this game is based on the clues that you can give, it's very limited information. And you sort of create this uh i'll call it like a language that you have based on the clues that you give so you start figuring out what certain clues mean for your group so when people start cluing the same thing you're like okay i think they're saying this now in our case there's a a a guideline that uh well i don't it's more than a guideline it's like a full-on like book on how to play and what kind of clues you can give and what they mean that sort of thing and on first glance, I looked at this. I'm like, oh, this has got to take all the fun out of it. Like, I, I did not like it, but I gave it a try. And it turns out that when you use certain guidelines, it makes the game more fun. And the reason is because it becomes a puzzle that you're going to solve uh, with your team of players. So you get to work together to try to figure out the most efficient way to solve the problem, which is play all the cards. So it's really neat to be able to work together and sort of make that sort of thing happen. And because there's this sh- shared language of the clues, you're able to make this happen rather than just let it be random. So that's why I find it interesting because of the problem-solving aspect. So it's really fun. You don't have to worry about guidelines. You could just play for fun. Uh, there is a website called Hanabi.live that we play on. You can play for free. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's on like Tabletop Simulator. I know it's on Board Game Arena as well. So there's many different locations you could play this for free. Grab a couple of friends. It plays good with three and four players. Uh, I would say four is the nice sweet spot 
but you can play up to five players on most sites, three to five. Um, you there's can a actually, two-player variant yeah, that I you, think Lent. You can play two-player, but it's weird. It's so mm-hmm. weird. None of the, like, very few of the conventions actually apply, so stuff is ambiguous, and it's weird. So, yeah, highly recommended. And there's a few other games that are similar to Hanabi that has that similar whole you don't know information about your hand and you're trying to work it out or uh, many other variants where it's that that co-op solitaire type game where you're working together, but you can't give information to each other. There's different games in the genre, but I would say Hanabi is like sort of the distilled essential one. Yeah, and we're having a lot of fun, despite the fact we're only about halfway through the conventions that we're learning and are very rarely trying variants of the game, which make it a little bit tougher. We've mostly been sticking to the vanilla game. Um, but yeah, we're, I, I saw people were doing some variants without me last night. And I think, well, whatever. But anyway, there's even more to it than what Craig is saying. That's my point. All right. Uh, so, Dave, what's your good thing? So uh, you guys remember the theme this month, right? Since it is the this the month of my birth, July. It's the is month it of Dave. going to be another Dave? Yeah, it's the month of all of my good things being named Dave. And last week we talked about David Wise. So I'm just going to spend the whole month talking about No, I'm just kidding. But I am going to stick with the same theme of music. And I would like to give a shout out to one of the bands from uh, my middle school days that I listened to. And one of the very few bands I listened to as a preteen that I still care about to this day. And that is the Dave Matthews Band. So these guys uh, came out around the early 90s. And I guess technically they were labeled as alternative when they came out. But really, they're um, I I really hate to say this because it makes me sound like a hipster, but they they (laughs) defy genre. Okay, so and like they were one of the first bands to actually do it in the right way. So they're alternative but they're also folk they're also jazz they're also bluegrass right um so they're really cool i remember one of the first times i really got into dave matthews band i was uh, i was wrapping christmas gifts in my parents room um in northeast philadelphia and i guess that's where we kept the wrapping paper and stuff so that's why i was doing the christmas wrapping in there or what I call Christmas wrapping anyway. It might look slightly different from what you're used to seeing Christmas wrapping as. Uh, but anyway, there was a concert on TV, Dave Matthews Band. And just one of the things that really stood out to me was uh, Boyd Tinsley, who was the violin player of Dave Matthews Band at the time. And he was just freaking rocking out. I think he was doing the solo of Ants Marching in that live concert I was watching on TV. And it just blew me away. And uh, it was one of the first bands that I actually owned CDs of. I had Under the Table and Dreaming, and I had Crash, and I had Before These Crowded Streets. And there's just so many great tunes on there, guys. Um, Dave Matthews' voice himself is a little divisive. I know some people hate it, some, and I personally think he has a fantastic voice. But you have to admit two things. Uh, one is that... He has the perfect voice for their outfit. Like nobody could be the lead vocalist of Dave Matthews band, but Dave Matthews himself. And the other thing is dude freaking gives 110% all of the time. Uh, In fact, they started showing some live concerts of them on YouTube. I think they're doing them weekly right now and they're raising money for charity uh, called uh, DMB drive-in. It's on Dave Matthews band's uh, YouTube channel. And you just watch like, 
he's he's five minutes in dave matthews is sweating profusely and you can see like his vocal cords popping out of his neck he's just so passionate and such a strong singer and also uh one of the members of the band that i kind of underappreciated until i watched one of these dmb drive-in concerts uh was carter beauford and he's the drummer he is freaking incredible and like just Looking at the smile on this guy's face during their live concert, just you got to smile too when you see how happy this guy is when he's playing his huge drum set. And I'm not going to say that he's like Neil Peart or John Bonham or anything, uh, but he is really good. He's got a huge setup. He has a wide variety of different genres, obviously, if he's going to hang with Dave Matthews' band that he can play drums on. And actually, Rolling Stones uh, magazine in 2010 put out a reader poll and they voted Carter Beauford as the number 10 greatest drummer of all time. Uh, also, Dave Matthews makes wine called The Dreaming Tree, which is okay. But mostly I like him for his music. All right. Uh, does anyone have anything on Dave's good thing? I did get to go to a Dave Ma- Matthews concert back in the day. Cool. It wasn't really my thing, but I mean, I like Dave Matthews music. So it was, it was a thing. Tori? Uh, don't you usually go next? I am going next, but I wanted to make sure everyone had a chance to talk about Dave's thing before I do. Oh, yeah, I like Dave Matthews' band. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's like we're all in agreement, like, yeah, okay, that's that's fine. Yeah. I'm not talking about Dave's thing, because my good thing this week is a Dave Matthews band song. Ooh. Uh, which I actually just posted to our Good Things channel in our Discord. Hey guys, join our Discord if you haven't yet. You can find the link at patreon.com slash cast anyway the song in question is satellite um not a huge dave matthews band fan like i've i've listened to them certainly heard most of their radio stuff uh i even owned one album on cassette tape way 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 back in the day um but yeah they didn't really stick with me however satellite is it slaps it is amazing like it I totally really holds up. It's it's just it's it's a j- thoroughly pleasurable listening experience. Um, I don't even know when it came out, but it's been however many years since it came out, and it's still just fan freaking tastic. It's so good. Nice. My personal favorite is um, so much to say. It's the first track on Crash, and I don't really remember too many of their music videos. And you know, obviously, early '90s, they had some music videos out. Is this the actual video of Satellite that you posted? Yeah, it's got uh, Johnny Galecki from Big Bang Theory and Roseanne. Uh, I looked it up on Dave, IMDb. Dave from Roseanne? Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, I looked it up on IMDb to make sure it was the right guy, and apparently he was uncredited in this video. Oh, so. cool. I have to check it out. You do realize when you say from Big Bang Theory and Roseanne, you're referring to like five different people. Definitely three. Him, uh, Laurie Metcalf, and Girl from the Lab. Darlene. Sarah Gilbert. Except I led with his like name. Yeah. And and then I mentioned the two <laughs> the two biggest things he's been in. That narrows it down a bit. Um so to go along with satellite, I did post a, a video, well, a song as well. Dave Matthews Band After Her, which is like an early version of Satellite. I really enjoy this version of the song. It To me, it feels a little more emotional. So uh, I'd say give it a listen. I, I posted it right after Satellite, so you can listen to both. Yeah, I didn't have time to listen to the whole thing. I heard like five seconds and then Dave joined the voice call. So I had to turn it off. But I will definitely check it out later. 
Uh, so, Tori, what's your good thing this week? A restaurant. So, in a small college town in Oklahoma called Tahlequah. I know where you're going with this, and I'm so happy. <laughs> oh, Mike knows. The pizza place. Oh. Mike still know what I'm talking about? I do, but you, you threw a curveball at me because I thought you were talking about somewhere else. Oh, which one did you think I was talking about? Uh, the Mexican place that I loved. Oh, that's not there anymore. Aw. I know. No, there's a pizza place. It's called Sam and Ella's Chicken Palace. Sam and Ella's. Say it real fast. Yes. They're okay. <laughs> they wanted, they did that on purpose. They did, yeah. But technically they don't serve chicken. I, I think one of the pizzas has chicken on it, but. I would not a, eat that chicken. It is a pizza place. It's a pizza place, and all of the pizzas are named after types of roosters. And it's just, um, the pizza is delicious. I, I want to say that. But also, it's a chicken-themed restaurant. So, like, the wainscoting is corrugated iron, like, at a barn. And there's a shelf running around the, up near the ceiling, all the way around the dining area that's just got chicken memorabilia on it so there's little like porcelain chickens and chicken plates and uh, like there there's old chicken feed sacks hanging on the walls for decor and like chicken tablecloths on all the tables and the trivets are shaped like chickens and i've always really liked the decor in there but guys the pizza is so good it's so good Sam and Ella's. Wow. Yeah, Sam and Ella's Chicken Palace. It's a wow. really good pizza place. You should definitely go there if you're ever in Tahlequah. It was once featured in Southern Living Magazine. I only know that because they have the article framed on their wall. Well, if I'm ever in that area, I gotta check it out because I'm you're a fan never of gonna be in that place. area. It's not gonna come up. I'm sorry. <laughs> I might go through Oklahoma. Uh, Even if you go through Oklahoma, you're not going to go through Tahlequah, Oklahoma, because it's there. there is no main highway running through there. You're only going to uh, find yourself there if you're going there on purpose. Yeah, Tahlequah isn't on the way to anywhere. Um, but you might go to that area of Oklahoma to hit up the Ren Fair there, which is the best Ren Fair in the country, in my opinion. I agree. And but you'd you're... still be 45 minutes from Tahlequah. True. But since you're in the area, you might as well swing by Tahlequah and eat at Salmonella's. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm looking at the map now. It really is like in the middle of nowhere. Yep. Okay. Well, good to know. Uh, all right. So, Dave, uh, I think before we have you go over chapters this week, uh, I think we should talk about some news in the Brandon Sanderverse. Uh, so... Tori, I think you're the best person to, to lead us through this. So what, what has been happening in, in the Sanderverse? Are, are you referring to the part where he's finished the final draft of Rhythm of War? There's that. There's a couple of other things, too. Uh, the Kickstarter for the Leatherbound Wave Kings uh, made a whole lot of money in a very short amount of time. <laughs> yeah, it did. That's sure part of it. And there's one more thing I'm thinking of. Do you know what it is? Mm -hmm. The short story that we got in our email? That's the chicken. I thought we uh -huh. were going to talk about that in Spoiler Town. Uh, we will. We'll go into detail on it. I just wanted to... It so we mentioned. got an email that has a short story in it, and it's from Sil's point of view, and it's adorable. What? Real quick. 
Uh, the Kickstarter for The Way of Kings Leatherbound has currently made, as the time of this recording, which is only five days after the Kickstarter launched, over $5 million. People love Sanderson. It's just dropping $5 million with their goal of a quarter million. This is ridiculous. It it got front-loaded pretty hard because there were limited supplies of the first printing of The Leatherbound, of, of the Leatherbound yeah. uh, Way of Kings. So, like, that that got a huge front-loading. However, there are unlimited um, sort of identical tiers uh, for the second 2011, or, sorry, not 2011, 2021 printing. Um, so that one's just going to sort of be, when they can get around to doing a second printing, then they'll fulfill all of that. But <laughs> Joke's on them. 2021 is never going to happen. Wow. <laughs> that's optimistic looking at 2020 so far i mean yeah, there, there was a meme i saw today was it on dave's channel and they're like it's it's uh marty and doc and doc is like whatever you do marty don't go to 2020 it's true it is true so yeah i'm i'm guessing it'll probably hit about 10 million total by the by the end of the 30-day kickstarter but yeah, heavy, heavy front loading. It was, I think, just short of four million in the first twenty-four hours. They sure got a whole ten of my dollars. Yeah, same. Craig, did you get in on this yet? Of the Kickstarter? Yeah, absolutely. I I couldn't say. No. I'm like, I, I turned to my wife and I'm like, it's two hundred dollars. But look at the swag. So I got it. I yeah, can't say the, no to this. The main thing that I would have wanted beyond the digital stuff, like the big thing I want is the is the novella. Uh, but the main thing I would have wanted is that cool movie style poster uh, right, that I don't yeah, want to go yeah. into details on because Dave's still here. Um, oh, but, Dave's here. Oh, hi, Dave. But uh, that would have been an extra 20 bucks plus shipping just for a poster. And I, I can't. I want I can't. the patch. I don't need any of the other order stuff. I just want a patch. Uh, well, I, yeah. I want to talk to you guys about this in the spoiler section as well, because I want to I want to chat about it. But uh, I will note, I don't think anyone there are some current listeners now. So if you have not backed yet, you can get the novella for $50 of a pledge. So you don't have to do the full 200 to get the leather bound. You can just you can get swag plus the novella for 50. And plus, yeah, I'm sure it, he's going to sell was, the novella afterwards anyway. I think it was the leather bound novella, but you can just get the digital version of the novella for ten bucks, like Mike and I did. Oh yes. yeah, okay, good point. Yeah, thank you. And the 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 ten dollar digital package also includes like a bunch of art stuff, but it's all digital, so there's no there's and no. And it shipping. doesn't come with any patches or posters, to our sadness. Right, but there's no shipping, and every ten dollar pledge is just pure extra money thrown into this from from their perspective because like ev all the digital stuff they're do they're they're putting out doesn't cost anything extra for them to make more of. So it's pretty exciting. So um, and it's also a, a big time because uh, I just got my call call to adventure the stormlight edition. Uh, that just arrived in mail last week and people I know on the uh, internet are also receiving their copy, so that's pretty cool too. It's a a board game for Stormlight Archives. Super exciting. Yes. And for that. those of you who don't already know, there is a Mistborn game as well. And if you're a Sanderson fan, there's also a Reckoners board game, which is not Cosmere, but it is Sanderson. So the man's got some games, uh, and I know there's also pen and paper 
uh, roles that you can use if you wanted to be in the like Mistborn universe or something. All right, Dave, let's get to some chapters. This week, we're reading and have read and possibly will read and did read and don't read and has read chapters four and five of Cowboy Mistborn. <laughs> All right. <laughs> True. Chapter four. Harmony's forearms is where Sezed kept his copper's mines. Sliverism reveres iron eyes. Shewerman is a bad alloy. Is that like calling someone a mongrel? Steris is even a psychologist. Michelle, which reminded me of that <laughs> scene from The Simpsons. It could have reminded me of a Beatles song, but instead it reminded me of that scene from The Simpsons where Marge runs into her old rich friend from high school and she meets all the rich people. And they're named Karen, Gillian, Elizabeth, Patricia, Roberta, Susan. So that's what I thought of. Uh, scruffy man dressed in black. I think I hoid of that guy. Craig, put the thing up. So I made a meme. So there's this scruffy guy and he's dressed in black. And it, upon finishing the chapter, it's possible that it was Wayne because he's wearing different disguises but my first thought was like hey there's Hoyd there's some scruffy guy in black and I'm gonna go ahead and post an image in Dave Art and stuff because I made a little meme regarding Hoyd and Craig will put it up on the stream yeah this, this is so good I love this <laughs> <laughs> it's so true though I think this is from one of the Treehouse of Horror episodes where Bart goes into the library and finds like a magic spell book or something. But first he finds a Where's Waldo book or Where's Wally for our British fans. Uh, we call him Waldo in America. And it's called Find Waldo yet again. And he's just standing there on a beach with a little kid pointing at him. <laughs> and Bart says, man, he's just not trying anymore. So I just turned Waldo into Hoyd. It's so true. So uh, <laughs> if, if you're just a listener... You join our Discord, you can find this little meme image in the Dave Art and Stuff channel. But Craig's also going to post it to Reddit after this episode. Sure. And it's not self-promotion because it's just a meme. They allow memes. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, I suspect that this guy is Hoyd. Um, and if you guys want to tell me whether or not it's Hoyd, you can just go ahead and tell me. I'm not too worried about it. I also suspected that, but I didn't look it up for confirmation. Interesting. All right, so I hoited this guy. Sup with Marassi. Do we have to do the ballroom blitz joke again? Suddenly, the wainter shows up. I ordered Maker's Mark, not Bullet. Hold for laughter. <laughs> no, I laughed. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> I'm I'm laughing behind my mute button. Thank you. And Craig doesn't know what whiskey is. All right. <laughs> <True>. <laughs> uh, Marassi is still cute. Poor dog. Uh, imagine trees growing fruit in abundance on Scadriel. All of the hostages were closer relatives of the Lord Mistborn. Where are the Vanishers likely to strike next? Well, here we go. It's it's a ball, etc. And that's the end of chapter four. This is a short chapter with the cameo and everything. Uh, so I would like to talk about Sliverism, if, yeah, if so we this can, is, for a minute. So Iron Eyes is Marsh, if I recall. Correct. And I believe he's been referred to as Death earlier in this book. That is correct. Hmm. Missed that. You did miss that. We were hoping you would you would ask, like, who is Death? Um, but this seems to conflate Marsh with the Lord Ruler now. Right, because Lord Ruler was the sliver in, of infinity, right? 
Yeah. Correct. So are I mean, people... Leave it... Go ahead, Craig. I was going to say, leave it to Yeoman's family to be the ones who still revere the Lord Ruler. I mean, Yeoman was the whole, like, I still follow the Lord Ruler even though he was killed. It's just like this was a part of his plan sort of thing. Mm. But then they they seem to have mixed up the Lord Ruler with, with Marsh now, and... I'm kind of wondering how that happened. Like, I'm pretty sure there's there's something here that happened that would have caused that that I just I'm just missing. So um, the copper mind says, well, maybe it's because the people who adhered to that old religion revered the Steel Inquisitors, and Marsh was the last one. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Since they would also follow the the Inquisitors, then it sort of makes sense that they would revere them as well, and. Considering what happened to the Lord Ruler, if you have the Inquisitors who continue to exist after the Lord Ruler, it sort of makes sense that they would also just follow them. Marsh was the last one by about 10 seconds. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he was very noticeable at the end of... Um, well, he probably had the, the most spikes, so. right? Yeah, well, he, he definitely... He was sort of the leader of the Inquisitors. Well, Ruin used them as the leader at the... Uh, at the yeah. end there. So, I, yeah. I think at some point the Steel Inquisitors were also said to be the Lord Ruler's eyes and ears and fingers and stuff. Okay. Yep, that's the that's exactly it. Eyes and ears and fingers and stuff. <laughs> you just gotta do eyes and ears and fingers and stuff sometimes. Oh yeah, they're out there doing the secret stuff. So, so yeah, I just I just wanted to sort of dig into that for a minute because I was a little bit lost. Please uh, continue, Dave. Alright, so we talked about sliverism. And Harmony's forearms, that's just another uh, swear word that they use, right? And Seiza yep. kept half of his copper mines on his forearms, right? I believe he had two on each arm, one on the upper and one on the forearm for his copper mines. That sounds, if not right, then close. Okay. Uh, then there's also this guy named Shurman, who is just the annoying guy that you invite to cheese off the people that you didn't invite. <laughs> uh, and they call Yo. him a Hold on, you remember that episode of Star Trek Next Generation where was that, there was that really talkative commander or something and Data was learning how to mimic to be him to, <laughs> to do small talk? Yeah. That's him. Okay. That's my casting choice right there. So they call him a bad alloy, which I guess is would in Earth terms be like calling somebody a mongrel or like calling someone bad bread or something or, mixed, or a mixed breed or something like that, right? Because they're an alloy but a bad alloy. <laughs> no, I don't think... Yeah, it's like a bad apple. I think it's more like calling someone a mongrel than a bad apple. Real quick, I want to confirm that I've been frantically Googling over here looking for a word of Brandon, and I found one confirming that the scruffy guy is indeed Hoyt. Nice. We so did it. We found him. <laughs> he was right there the whole time. <laughs> All right. That then brings up a question of why... Time travel. Why the married couple, on the day of their wedding, when there are hundreds of guests, they're stopping to talk to him when he looks like a beggar? What we do, what we do. No, no. Word of Brandon just says he was there for the cameo. So that's actually pretty interesting because we've seen Hoyd on different planets, and we can guess maybe all of the stories took place around the same time, but far away from each other enough that they don't interact with each other to something or whatever not directly but hoyd at this point has been in a 
a part of Roshar several hundred years ago and this scene right here. So is Hoyt not only a world hopper, but also a time hopper? So the only thing I will say is Or is that it just a meaningless cameo? I'll, I'll take that too. Well, okay. No, we can there we can get into this. A, this isn't this isn't explicitly spoilery. This there is a certain chronological timeline, and I will say that this I mean you're right, this takes place years after when he's on Roshar. Like Roshar the things on Roshar take place in between Mistborn era one and two. I think I misspoke. I meant Scadrial. He's he shows up on Scadrial several hundred years before yes. showing up on Scadrial again. Right. Correct. Okay, we have a word of Brandon on this, uh, which is that um, Hoyd doesn't actually live through all of the years that pass. Maybe he's a a time bubbler. Like we don't no, know wait, specifics. We don't time bubbler. We don't know specifics or um, mechanics, but he he can basically apparently jump forward to when he needs to be somewhere next. So you're saying there's a TARDIS in here somewhere. <laughs> can can we mention what 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 can I mention to Dave about Hoyd? <laughs> Hold on, let let me post in spoiler. Do you want to keep going with bullet points, and then when we get to chapter four, end of chapter four, we can go over this real quick. Uh, Mike's about to answer. Further okay. word of Brandon is that the couple at the wedding is based off of some of Brandon's in real life friends or acquaintances i don't know and he specifically wrote the cameo in so it was like hoyd was saying congratulations on the marriage of these two people in real life so it's Ta-da. literally just a cameo that's what it looks like for his friends that's nice man woody harrelson's never gonna be out of work if they ever make these movies i He's still want it out of work anyway <laughs> I, I still want it as a uh as a tv show where every season is a different book yeah, whatever Keep keep the same cast, just like expand it as you need to, and oh, like Masterpiece Theater. Is that what they did? I never watched. I mean, they that. had they had a lot of recurring actors on that show. I think that's because the BBC only employs like twenty people. <laughs> yeah, like that. Fair enough. Um, no, like like an anthology kind of kind of show, like like American Horror Story, how that does. I still think David Tennant would be a better Hoyt. Uh, I mean, if we're going to throw David Tennant in here, we can just have him play every part always forever. <laughs> yes, please. Just, just green screens for days and, <laughs> and filming takes forever because he has to he has to play every character. But the final product is so good. <laughs> He's literally uh, the only actor I can imagine. Can you have it. too much of one actor? That seems a little extreme. Not if it's David Not Tennant. Not if it's David Tennant. Guys. Did I mention a new DuckTales show already? You he have, did. and I he do. plays Scrooge McDuck, and he's great. <laughs> yes. And they even made a time travel joke in one of the episodes. All right, let's get back to the chapter. All right, so Steris also analyzes, like, Wax's psyche and all that. She's still pretty much Lilith at this point. <laughs> Not only is she very stoic, but she's also a psychologist. Uh, so then there's Michelle. Oh, was she the wife? I don't know. Anyway, there's someone yes. named Michelle. Okay. Uh, scruffy man dressed in black. We went through that in detail. Took the picture. Uh, and what's up with Marasi? She's suddenly like asking all these questions and doing math and stuff and not being as shy. Uh, meanwhile, Wax is looking around the room like, that'd be a good place to hide a sniper. 
this would be a good place to hide if a gunfight breaks out. So like, yeah, he's he's anticipating the ballroom blitz already, or at least just his natural state of mind is what's going to happen when all heck breaks loose and there's a gunfight. You uh, absolutely called it back in the first episode of this book when you called him Bruce Wax. Bruce Wax. Uh, okay, so the waiter shows up, and it happens to be Wayne in another disguise. Marassi actually recognizes him, and um, he sneaks a a bullet casing with a note in uh, Wax's drink. Even though Wax ordered Maker's Mark bourbon, he gets bullet. Ah ha 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 Greg, bullet is a is a brand of bourbon. It's it's I I figured. Okay, I, I got I can get it by context. Nice. Uh, and Marassi is still cute. Um, and then there's a poor dog. There's the story about how uh, Wax shot a dog in the tail, and uh, he riles up Steris when he explains it. He was actually aiming for the dog's you-know-what-stickles, and Steris is just, like, so embarrassed. But her dad actually laughs, like... And then Wax gets the idea that, like, oh, Steris's father didn't make her the way she is. She takes after her mother, and he's kind of under her thumb and not the other way around. Uh, so she goes off to powder her nose and the dad leaves and something about a tree. Uh, so Wayne and Wax and Marasi are all talking about the recent robberies and kidnappings. And they realize that all the hostages were pretty close relatives of the Lord Mistborn. Mi- the Lord Mistborn uh, spook. Yes. Okay, Spook's close relatives. So, you know, where are there going to be a bunch of wealthy people with close relatives? What, what's what's the girl that Spook liked? Beldry. Beldry. That's the one. Belgia. They they were very busy. I mean, there's not really a confirmation that they stayed together. But I guess there they, like, not. they got together at the end of Trilogy. But Yeah, happy ending. They're like 12. All right. No, they're like 17 or something by then. Oh, okay. So, yeah, where are they going to find close relatives of Spook and the other hostages? And where are a bunch of rich people going to gather together so they can rob them? Oh, look, here they are. And that's the end of Chapter 4. Because Wayne's sort of like, you know, where's the perfect place for this to happen? And then it's like, this is like perfect for a TV show. Like, this is your cliffhanger right here. Well, commercial well, hanger, not the cliffhanger. That's There's your a... first commercial break, is what it yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. There's another commercial break at the end of Chapter 5, and I'm kind of mad. <laughs> you should blame Mike and Tori. They were the one who came up with the... Mostly Tori. <laughs> yeah, this what one's on Tori. That wasn't me. No. We like leaving things off on a cliffhanger, though. It's more hanger. Oh, Chasm you hanger. said it. Booger. This is you. Yeah, I'm coming back around on it. <laughs> it only took you, like... <laughs> a whole book and then you're like you know what that's not too bad he didn't say that it's working don't worry any well, questions get the words to... of radiance everything's going to be uh chasm hangers as the diagram foretold <laughs> i'm trying to think of questions i'm certain i have some but they're gone uh let's continue to chapter five and then we can ask them about both all right then chapter five marasi takes notes Colas blood that doesn't even make sense, does it? I don't know. Something about that dude's voice struck wax. 
The bandit leader has a Granger Model 28, just in case we haven't mentioned Harry Potter yet this episode. And we had it. So good thing I wrote that. No. We did it. <laughs> uh, this is the first story I've heard of where the cop gets shot after retirement. Oh, can't they just use the pause glitch to shoot all the bad guys? And that's the end of chapter five. We're left with another cliffhanger. So end of chapter four, all the bad guys show up. And then chapter five is them getting ready to fight the bad guys. And so that's all we get this week. I have a comment. Uh, this was actually explained before when they were talking about Wayne's uh, speed bubble ability. If you shoot out of a bubble, the bullet gets deflected. Okay, yeah, I thought it, only people couldn't leave the bubble. I didn't realize that this you, you can send all things out. It just looks weird and operates weird. And there are real. If you think about the physics of how it would work, it sort of makes sense. Oh, you don't mean it bounces around inside the bubble. You just mean it goes off. It's yeah, like it, you're it's shooting into water or something. Once okay. it hits the barrier, it like turns in a random direction, and and it is apparently unpredictable. Uh, Wax says so in like chapter one or two. I, mean, I think that chapter makes two sense because the front of the bullet would slow down, right? Right, and, and there's spin the on angle. the bullet. It makes sense. So it's refraction, as right. uh, Talonel has pointed out. So pause glitch slightly less useful than in Mega Man. All right. But you know what this did remind me of is you guys have played FTL faster than light. It's a it's a roguelite where you go around doing space combat and stuff. But you can pause the game, prime up all of your weapons and cue all of your commands <laughs> while the game is paused. And you can strategize without time passing. That's basically what's happening here. They're playing FTL. So what you're saying is there are speed bubbles in FTL and you're using one all the time. <laughs> Unless and you're you doing have a no pause run. And you have an infinite supply of Bendeloy. Nice. So legit. Ben so is real. FTL is now in the Cosmere. We've done it. Shakespeare wrote FTL. <laughs> <laughs> While playing Mario. All right. So go ahead and give us the real summary. Uh, so Marasi, uh, the intellectual student type that she is, she takes notes on as many of the suspects as she can. And, you know, she's like, oh, you know, half the people that give recounts of crimes don't give accurate descriptions. And there's a 70 percent chance of uh, fingering the wrong person in a lineup. So I'm going to take notes. And Wax actually like takes her notebook and uses steel pushing to like hide it under the table, like pushes up on it from under the table with like something or something. The spear What is the other the, the the dueling cane? Did he get take one of Wax uh, Wayne's dueling canes or something and do that? Uh, he took both of them and used a small piece of metal and the notebook to like wedge them against the side of the table. The whole movie, the notebook. Yeah. Mm. Ryan Gosling is really, Wait, really attractive. You guys. So he's like wedging it in there. He's not actually using steel pushing to hold them in place. Oh, which he actually is using would... steel pushing to hold them in place against the How? side of the table. Against the side of the table. Okay. That's fine. I thought I was thinking under the table, but now that doesn't make sense because he wouldn't have the correct angle on that. Right. Uh, He's putting in a weird position that you wouldn't normally look because it would be against the table rather than on the floor. So, okay. Yep. Side of the table hidden by the tablecloth. So, one of the bandits is this like gray skin model dude, and they're like, ah, he's got Coloss blood. Uh, what? What's that about? Aren't Coloss humans? Do they have different blood when they get spikes? No, 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 no. You're, you're conflating things. There was a Coloss named human. Mm, I'm not conflating things. Coloss are humans. 
with spikes in him. No, no, no. Human was Kolos. Not all Kolos are humans. <laughs> okay, oh I think we gosh, should stop confusing please. me. Kolos are You're not confusing me. You're trolling me, and I know it. Yeah. So is uh, Kolos blood actually, like, different genetically than human blood? So so we're going to quote... Thank you for Hrench putting the text. Uh, this is a quote from Hero of Ages. Sazed, uh it's, It talks about when Sazed is the Hero of Ages. And he's doing some things to protect uh, mankind. The Kolos he altered so they could choose to rejoin humanity or form their own separate society. So it specifically mentions that Sazed altered the Kolos. Uh, okay. That makes sense. In the same way that Lord Ruler was able to turn his friends into Mistwraiths. Right. And well, basically, uh, Lord Roller created um, the the Ska and the uh, Noble. What's the Ska and the Bleh? Nobles. Oh, I thought they had a name. But the point is, they are different. They have, they were differences, but of course, it got mixed up as people went on and had babies. Uh, And I do want to, before I forget again, uh, mention, I I picked up on this back when we had the newspaper headlines, you know, on one of the chapter images, the broadsheet, and it mentions a Colossus town. But right. now I'm not sure. So I was thinking that the fact that there are Kolos confirms that they're still using hemallergy in this era. But I guess maybe not now that I'm getting this explanation. Think, think of them as a as a human race. Yeah, they're, they're just descended. Different. They're yeah. just descended from the Kolos of era one, not necessarily being spiked. OK. All right. Moving on. Uh, so the bandit leader, when he talks, uh, something about his voice strikes wax. And I'm wondering if this might actually be Dirty Dan from the prologue. When I killed your brother, Eddie, I talked like this. That's Christopher Lloyd. Yeah, I think he should play this character. I'm doing a cast list a little bit early. Oh, I like it. I was think you mean this character or you mean Dirty Dan? Uh-oh. Oh no, you caught me. Whatever shall I do <laughs> I, to get out of this pickle? I'm so confused right now, for the record. Yeah, Mike, spoiled, Dirty Dan? Mike spoiled the end, that's all. Anyway, <laughs> I suspect that this bandit leader is possibly uh, the same as the that one what, uh, was holding Lessie in the beginning. The guy, Bloody Tan? Yeah, Dirty Dan. But he got he shot in the head. Shot but, in the head? He got shot in the head, but he could have gold mines. Or he could have, really? like, a twin brother, or that could have been a decoy or something like It's merely Any number of scenarios where this could be the same guy. Or, or it could be a very Judge guy. Doom, who was or a tune the Judge whole time. Doom. Whoa, spoiler. I guess we'll have to wait and see. We actually talked about Roger Rabbit two episodes in a row. The first one was when I mentioned the uh, Nintendo soundtrack to Frame Roger Rabbit. Christopher Lloyd. Oh, spoilers. I don't think it's a spoiler that Judge Doom is Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> Okay. All right. So, yeah, what's up with that? It could be Dirty Dan or Bloody Tan or Biff Tannen. Uh, and he has a Granger Model 28. Uh, and then, so, yeah, so there's this uh, retired constable in the wedding, you know, at the wedding celebrations named Petrius or something. Peter, Peter something. Peter us. Peterus. <laughs> Peterus. And yeah, he stands up to the bandits. He says, if you have to take a hostage, take me. And he gets shot uh, several days after retirement. Yeah. 
And you mentioned hostages, but I don't think you mentioned which the, the like, moment... who was being taken as hostage. Oh yeah, Steris and Marasi are rip. Sorry guys. The, the moment he it was mentioned he was retired is when he got shot though. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh so yeah, the hostages that they took were none other than Steris and Marasi, which makes sense because remember that they've kidnapped Steris's cousin before. And so this would be that hostage's cousin and that hostage's cousin's cousin. So they would also be more closely related to Spook than the others. And, and if you if you a- had any doubts about Wax being a protagonist, now you know. <laughs> because he's not kidnapped? Because he has a personal stake in it now. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, his fiance that he loves dearly has been kidnapped. Well, uh, I, I guess wonder, we could just end that- the book here. I wonder if they'll turn out to be Elemancers then, Marassian. Bad guys win. What's the reason to... If, unless... Okay, if they are, what uh, what, what Alimantic metal can they burn? Um, tin and maybe zinc for Steris. What did zinc do again? Soothe. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. So well, I have some questions for Dave. Yeah. All right. So we're getting our start. We're, we just finished Chapter 5, and now you've got the... Get a good look at the characters. So what do you think of our, our characters? We've got our main characters, Wax and Wayne. And we also have some side characters like Mercy, uh, Steris, Lord Harms. What do you what do you think of them? All right. Before anything else, but I want to mention this. Um, I don't know if the book is going in this direction, but this early five chapters in, I really want to ship Wayne and Marasi. I really want to ship those two. I don't know if it's going that way, but like that would just be so great. I will tell you that you are not alone in this, <laughs> and I'll leave um, it at that. Okay. My guess is, if I were to guess, I would think Marassi and Wax are going to end up, but like, come on, Marassi and Wayne. Come on. Uh, but yeah, Wayne is... Make a the, good case, Dave. Wayne is not only the funniest character in the book, he's also he also makes Wax funnier in the scenes where they're together. So Wax is the or, so Wayne is the Wait, best character. What you're saying is Wayne is actually Nightblood. Mm, I mean, he has a warped sense of time, I suppose. I think he's saying that Wax makes an excellent straight man who can occasionally dip into sarcasm. Yeah, it's like freaking Benedict Cumberbatch and blonde uh, guy from the Sherlock Mans. Doctor Strange and Bilbo? (laughs) No, Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman. Doctor Strange and Bilbo. Well, yeah, but I guess he was Bilbo. Is Doctor Strange the wizard? Yeah. In Doctor Strange, Benedict Cumberbatch. You've seen movies. You you exist in the world. Come on, man. I did see the one and only Hobbit movie that they made with Martin Freeman and wouldn't dare turn into three separate movies and put a bunch of filler material in to extend a single book movie. And Martin Freeman was Bilbo. I've never seen Doctor Strange, though. But if it's Benedict Cumberbatch, I instantly want to see it. Uh, it is, and it is, and you should. It's pretty good. It's it's one of the better Marvel movies. One of the better Marvel origin movies, I should say. Nice. I didn't even know he was a Marvel character. Maybe I was thinking of Dr. Zhivago or Dr. Quinn. Medicine yes. Woman? Wow. Benedict Cumberbatch is Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I have a thing from last week that I only thought of this whoa, week. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I asked a question. I didn't get an answer. About which characters I like and where... No, I just wanted to know what you thought of the characters. I told you. Well, you talked about Wayne. I want Wayne to hear o- about Starris and Marissi. for life. That's Marissi. what I said. I'm sorry. 
She's a dork. I love her. Okay, that's fair. And I want her to end up with the guy that's like that really silly and funny, like me. At the drop of a hat, like she just memorizes all of these things as you do. She's a university student, supposedly. All right. Has has Dave answered your questions to your satisfaction, Craig? I sure. I, I do also like Straff Junior, uh, Mr. Harms. He's pretty cool. Like the fact that he actually just like gets it. He gets a chuckle in at uh at Wayne's off color uh, remarks. It's like it actually really gives you a lot of respect for the guy for like laughing at stupid like stuff like that. Like you're like oh he's just like stuck in this situation and you got to feel for him. <laughs> and then he takes an opportunity to head to the bar and get a drink real quick. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not going to be allowed to do this later, so uh, I'll be back in a minute. So go go on with your question, All right. Mike. So last week, uh, Wax's butler told him a whole story. I went over it. Um, I had a thought that maybe that was Brandon telling himself a lesson of focus on writing books because it makes you enough money to provide for your family. You provide jobs for all these all these people that work for you. And don't follow your dream of being a pro magic player because however good you may be at it, <laughs> this is better. <laughs> it's a valuable lesson. Now, I have no idea if Brandon like ever wanted to try to be a pro magic player. I know he enjoys the game, and whenever he does a con, he usually likes to you know, set aside several hours of one of the days to, you know, play magic with, with his fans. Um, but I have to assume that at, he has at least thought about it and that he just sort of came to the conclusion that it'd be fun, but I, I just, I can't. I just can't. I mean, I thought about being a pro League of Legends player for all of five minutes of my life. That was back in season two. Things have changed since then. Have you gotten better? No. That might be your problem. <laughs> anyway, I just wanted to sort of throw that out there. And do we have anything else for Dave, or shall we move on to our probably pretty long spoiler time? I will point out that, that the longer we keep Dave is the longer the cliffhanger lasts. I'm not going to go read it instantly, but yeah. Now let's get into spoiler time. Uh, so, bye Dave. All right. Dave's gone. Play the thing. This concludes the spoiler-free section of our podcast. If you are, as I am, reading along for the first time, we recommend that you stop listening now, as the following will contain spoilers for not only this book, but for other Cosmere books as well. There may also be general spoilers from any other source material. Spoilers begin now. All right, so what kind of spoiler stuff do we have that's relevant to the chapters we just read? From this text the chapters we just read <laughs> from the alloy of law steris is a is a treasure yes i love steris so much so i i have like, mentioned like just sorry knowing that she's she's being completely genuine in the entire interaction like the first time you read it you're like oh man this this chick is something else but knowing <laughs> that she is completely genuine here is just oh she's darling i love her yeah. So I mentioned a while back that I figured out what was going on with Steris really, really early. Uh, possibly because I have had similar experiences to what I assume she had and have reacted in similar ways. Uh, when when you don't really get social interaction sometimes, sometimes you overcompensate and you practice things. Right. 
which is which is super what's going on here. Like, I assume that teenage Steris had a rough time and and just just sort of learned to over plan for everything to compensate. Uh, so I want to I want to apologize if I get this wrong, because um, I'm not really very familiar with it. But I believe word of Brandon is that she is autistic. Well, specifically, she has Asperger's, which I believe is a type of autism. But again, I'm I apologize if I get this wrong. But I believe that is what has been mentioned that that uh, stars is. And so she, just like you mentioned, doesn't really get social situations. So she sort of has to prepare herself in order to be able to handle it. And she does such a good job of preparing. Oh, my gosh. She's so prepared. Um, so when I first read Alloy of Law, I did not like Alloy of... I did not like Steris. Um, I, of course, shipped Wax with Marissi. Like, I think that was the whole intention. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be sad. They can't really get together because he's engaged to Steris. By Bands of Mourning, I am on the train of Wax and Steris forever. And Steris is the best character ever. Like, I did she not like She is exactly Steris. what he needs. She's adorable. She's great. She's so good. And she she is also a great fit for Wax. She's going to be able... She's the person in the background that can enable Wax to do a much better job. Like, he's sort of Batman, but... And he has a little bit of the, the whole detective thing going on, or the Sherlock Holmes thing going on, but he really needs someone who can handle all the details and the paperwork in the background, and that is Steris. She She handles all of the what-ifs, and she's really good at it. She's so good. Oh my gosh, I can't wait for later scenes where she's like, she has the list of like contingency plans because she knows what's going to happen with Wax being involved. It's so good. Page 14, explosions. (laughs) But I also want to point, so so for us in spoiler section, I do want us to keep an eye. I like keeping an eye when I do the reread of watching Steris. And in the first book, she doesn't get a lot of screen time because she is captured. So we don't get to see too much. But especially once we get the shadows of self, I want you to pay special attention to Steris and see how she reacts to certain situations and certain things that Wax says. Like she really enjoys when Wax like saves her from the train and does a little bit of a steel pushing to fly. Like she enjoys flight. Marissi hates it. Steris loves it. That's well, a clue right there. And and by by the time that particular scene crops up, she knows Wax a little better and knows what to expect from him. Like you can see her getting flustered in this party scene because she just expects him to act through the party with a certain level of decorum and he does not do that. Yeah. And so when she does when when she realizes that she does not know what to expect from him, that's when she storms off in a fluster. I feel bad for how they treated Steris in this in this scene, but that's only because I know later on what she's like. At the time, I'm like, oh, they're picking on her. Big deal. Now, I wanted to point out for all the listeners at home that in our Discord channel, we were discussing. Um, so Dave mentioned that he he ships Wayne and Marisi a little bit. Um but we're all on board with Wayne and Milan, which led us to discuss how we need to give Nightblood to Wayne because they no. would be perfect together. I don't agree to this. This is a horrible plan. It would be a wonderful plan. No good will come of this. Because they would get in so much trouble. And I, like, I want to listen to the arguments they're getting into about the trouble they're going to get in. Like, 
neither of them would be talking the other one out of the trouble. They would both be talking each other into the trouble. <laughs> That's the problem. Nightblood doesn't need it. So Wax is sort of a skybreaker. If, if he was on Roshar, Wax would be a skybreaker. I think there's no question of that. He could mitigate Nightblood's influence. Wayne? I don't I don't bolster. think he has the the prerequisite mental illness to become a skybreaker. He has a definite sense of of right and wrong. Skybreakers Man. become skybreakers because they don't have a definite sense of morality and so they seek an external code. So he's a fifth ideal, ideal skybreaker. He is the law. But you can't just skip to that. You have to do the steps. And he doesn't meet the prerequisites for step one. Well, he he uh, he already went through that. Like, that was in the background. Like, at this point, he would be a fifth ideal skybreaker. And he also doesn't follow... He frequently doesn't follow an external code. He follows his internal code ahead of that. Which yep. is counter to, what the, to how the skybreakers work. I am the law. But before then... You follow an external code. Uh, Phil Knight points out that Wax would have been broken by Lessie. Broken, yes. Broken already happened. Not worried about broken. I'm worried about the specific... I think it's sociopathy, I think, is is the correct... Wait, so you're arguing that he would not be a skybreaker. What would he be then? I'm not sure he'd qualify for any of the, uh, of the Knights Radiant, but I don't know all of the... We haven't seen all of the orders, so I don't know... I don't know what... So in the same way that I want to see Wayne and Nightblood in the same room together, I want to see Wax and Commander Vimes in the same room together. Yeah, that'd be fun. Who? Commander (laughs) Samuel Vimes. They have to team up to fetch Wayne and Nightblood. (laughs) I don't understand. Who is this? From Discworld. Read more books, man. Oh, see, look, you guys throw out a Discworld reference and you expect me to get it? I don't know. That is your own boat, mister. Um, I I did want to briefly talk about the the just just a question for you guys uh, based on the the leatherback, the leather bound Kickstarter. Um, As I mentioned, their swag for those of us who have who have backed it and the swag is tied to which order you choose of the 10 orders. And I I think we talked about it before. I'm not sure. I know we talked about in the discord, but they had a, a quiz that they posted on Tor's website where it's like, which Knight Radiant order are you? And then you can take the quiz and sort of feel, basically prepare yourself to which order you want to join. And when I took the quiz, I got Edge Dancer as top, uh, followed right by, next to Windrunner. And I've I've been thinking about those results since I did it. And I'm like, you know, that makes sense. Like reading over what the description of Edge Dancer is and given the quiz, I think that would actually fit me the best of all the orders. And especially because I hate heights, so I don't think I could be a windrunner. So looks like I'm an edge dancer. Uh, I had a fairly low percentage. I think it was only in like the 60s or 70 percent uh, tie between tr- uh, Truth Watcher and Else Caller, and I'm fine with either of those. That's but neat. I just I just wouldn't be very good at at either one. Like third ideal, and then I stop basically. Yeah, Tori. Uh, I also ended up with Edge Dancer, and I completely think it fits. Nice. So we have two Edge Dancers and a Truth Watcher, or maybe Else Caller. No Bond Smith, though. What would yep. Dave be? That's a question. We'll have to think what about that. What would Dave be? Let's diagnose Dave's mental illnesses and, <laughs> no. how they, and how they pertain to a fictional magical system. So I will point out that uh, 
some of the discussions related to the quiz and the and the orders. You can be in more than one order, apparently. You don't necessarily have to be specifically tied to one order. As you mentioned, you might only get up the third ideal. You can dual, not dual wield, but uh, you can basically have two orders. See, I interpreted that word of Brandon a little bit differently. Uh, I interpreted it as you can bond to multiple shard blades at once. Do you think, but you'd only have the power of one order? No, like completely separate from Night Radiant Orders. I think he, I I interpreted that as him just talking about bonding to shard blades. No, I I don't remember exactly what we were talking about, but it was that you could be in different orders, and that sort of that sort of led us into the whole um, maybe Rock is actually a stone ward rather than like he's a uh, he's one of Kaladin's squires, and he's definitely doing something with Investiture because he can use a use a gem, but he fits the stone wards like perfectly based on the text, the blurb that we got in a little description. Anyway, so, yeah, I just wanted to see what order people are getting. And we're getting some neat swag because uh, there's a lot of stuff tied to which order you pick. Along with, as Mike mentioned, there's a neat little movie poster of Bridge 4, which we can show Dave after we we're maybe halfway or so of in Words of Radiance because... No, no, we have to wait till the end because it's after they have their powers. Yeah, there, there's uh, at least one shard blade, a shard spear. Like, it's Oathbringer. It's, right. it's very definitely But it, it's Oathbringer. a really cool poster. Uh, but yeah, it's neat. We're going to get, like, an order art print. And I'm, I'm sort of... Oh, man, I sort of wish we could get, like, all... I want to see all of them. Oh, we yeah. get the playing cards, too. Oh, man. There's pins, fun. there's patches, there's coins, there's a deck of cards. There are art prints for each order. There's all sorts of stuff. And all you have to do is give Brandon Sanderson more money than you already have. And <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. And I have bullet points. Okay, ho- hold on. So for those of you listeners, we are going to be discussing the interlude that has been given to us by Brandon Sanderson for uh, his newsletter in uh, his uh, most recent newsletter, which he just posted. Yeah, it's it's his I newsletter email. Uh, you can sign up for it on his website if you haven't yet, and you definitely should. Um, signing up for his newsletter is also how you get the prose version of um, White Sands, which I still haven't read yet, but I have it. I really need to get around to that. So this is going to be an interlude that's going to be in Rhythm on War, correct? Like, this is just no side idea. content. Yeah, we keep calling it a short story, but I think it's an excerpt from the book. Okay. Like, it's called the Silfrena Interlude. But I I don't know for certain that that means it'll actually be in Rhythm of War or if it's just going to be its own thing. It seems to take place after Oathbringer, I believe. It's definitely after Oath, Oathbringer, but yeah. Because we, we have Rock's Daughter, we have... Um... Rock's Daughter has Shard Plate, which means it has to be after the end of Oathbringer. Okay. So, for those of you listeners who want to wait for Rhythm of War, you've been warned... Because you just got a little bit of a spoiler, not much, but... Spoilers begin now. Yeah. All right. Uh, So I would like to read my bullet points, and then I'm hoping that one of you can sort of fill in what what this means, because I don't want to do that part. Okay. (laughs) Shoot. I mean, I just reread it, uh, if you're not ready, Tori. I I think we can tag team it. Okay. All right. Ready, Mike? Go. Sill storms out. Hua Linum Luna Naki Akilu. That's Kord's daughter. 
I, I are, that, that is rock starter called court. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I probably butchered job. that. I'm hoping that Dave will do it better in however many years it takes us to get this far. He probably will. Yes. I see spren people storming music. Lots of corpses. Wait, we're, has... not, we're not going to do this one by one because I'm not going to remember all these bullet points. Oh, do you want to take a break between? Yes, please. All right, then let's go back. Sill storms out. So there's a high storm, and she goes out to play. Yeah. Hua Linum Luna Naki Akilu. Slightly better that time, Mike. As, it, as it I was mentioned, smoother, at least. Court, who is Rock's daughter. I see spread people. Uh, that's when she's looking at the shard plate, right? And remembering that it's made of dead sprints. Not quite yet. Uh, Not this, yet. Okay. this is Rock's daughter can also Cord see Sprint. Yeah. Uh-huh, yes. Storming music. The music. So she l- hears music because of the storm. Like it's directly mentioned that she hears like friendly music from the high storm. I'm glad you that you were the one to bring that up, Craig, because I think this plays into your uh, your musical theories pretty well. Sure. Lot, lots of corpses. There you go. That's the bit with the shard plate. That's where we get confirmation that shard plate is, in fact, corpses i.e. dead spren. But since Syl doesn't feel bad about it, they're probably lesser spren who who don't have minds. Well, it's also mentioned that there she senses a different attitude from the spren. So they seem more satisfied. Perhaps that they feel like <laughs> perhaps they feel like they did a job well done compared to shard blades, which are like, why would you betray me type feeling. Syl has two brains. One came from Abby Normal. Hey, I know who that is. Okay, side note. I was I, in a Facebook group. Somebody posted a summarize your favorite movie in as boring a way as possible. And somebody put up um, bodybuilder loses his fiance to a bulkier man. And the movie was, of course, Young Frankenstein. So I laughed. Old so- Knight traveled around, cutting cisterns, aqueducts, deals, hot new tracks, meat, cheese, and cracker trays in line, checks a rug. Wow. So Sill's old Knight Radiant was uh, a working man. He, he did some stuff to help improve. Sort of like when Dalinar gets frustrated and he just cu- cuts things with shard blade or with a giant hammer. But yeah. Sleepy Kaladin. It's because our boy is depressed and he sleeps too much, maybe? And he sleeps through the high storm. I don't they know. They specifically mentioned that they're glad he's asleep because he doesn't sleep enough. Mm, true. Peak sprint. Yeah. So, what are those? So this is a type of sentient sprint, uh, given by the context, since it's mentioned with ink sprint and other honor sprint. So we know this is probably a type of sprint that is one of the knights uh, radiant bond. And since we only don't know two of them, uh, it's suspected that peak sprint are probably the stone ward. Spren, because it sort of makes sense uh, with the naming uh, Stone, Horn Eater Peaks, Giant Mountain Range, Peak Spren. Yep, I I actually went through and worked that out in our spoiler section of our Discord yeah. uh, back when the email first came out because I needed to work it out and I figured I would go ahead and type all that out while I was doing it. The other option is uh, whatever whatever Renarin is. What is he? Truth watcher. Truth watcher, but his sprint is weird. But I don't. I think, given what Yasnum was researching, I don't think it's a peak sprint. I, I just mean, ag- agreed. But that's the other one that we don't know the name of the sprint. Right. All right. Next up, Room I will keep th- in mind 
that Renarin is not actually a truth watcher. He's something different. But they thought he was a truth watcher in the beginning. Room full of talking pe- Ooh, a puppy! That's <laughs> such a... It's the Homer Simpson little poodle, and then he sees it across the street. That that was still doing an impression of uh, me. <laughs> so her second brain gets very distracted. Too much investiture makes time behave oddly. I thought that was interesting. So, um, sorry if I'm cutting cutting you out, Tori. I just got excited. No, no, um, you go ahead. So apparently, when Stormfather wants to have a little chat with Sylphrena, he. He just pumps a ton of investiture, which actually sort of slows down time. And this just reminds me of... So I'm not into... I don't know physics too well. Like, keep in mind, I'm a programmer. uh, But I believe we do have some, like, time dilation when it comes to black holes because of how massive they are. And that sort of reminds me of this. So when there's a giant pool of investiture, time slows down or stops. And I'm actually... I was thinking about this as appropriate with Alloy of Law. Is that what Bendeloy people are doing? Like, is just, is, is that how it works? There's just a ton of investiture around them, which is why it slows down. And therefore, is Marissi's ability to, it's not a speed bubble, but a slow bubble or whatever it ends up being called. How's that like the opposite? That would mean she's somehow removing investiture around her area, which causes it to be fast for her and slower everywhere else. If that makes sense. I'm sort of, it's very vague, but what do you guys think? Uh, I don't think you're on the right path for Bendeloy and Cadmium. It could, like, it was just a theory, like, is this connected or is this just... I, li- I like where your head's at. I just don't think that's that's what's happening with those two specifically. That's fair. But in, in this point, the Stormfather can sort of slow down time because Investiture. Power, but not ability. Oh, never mind. I skipped one. Sorry. Go back. Sill is more than the Stormfather. Uh, Tori? No, you got me. What? Uh, Syl is talking to the Stormfather. Oh, he specifically says, I am but the storm, you are more. You know, this whole exchange with the Stormfather that Syl has, I feel like Stormfather is just a little bit of a hypocrite. Like, he's also bonding with Dalinar. Like, he's also going through similar changes, but he's also very stubborn, because that's just the way the Stormfather is. So maybe he doesn't quite realize... Uh, that that he is also going through changes. Power, but not ability. This this is at the end where sh- she's asking, so Syl in this exchange with the Stormfather wants to sort of understand what Kaladin's going through, basically his depression. Um, so she sort of wants to experience it herself because this whole short, this interlude, sorry, is basically how can she become empathetic? with Kaladin like she wants empathy she has a bond with him but she still doesn't fully understand so she asks in this case the Stormfather like can you make me experience this so I can understand and and he mentions that he has the power to do it but he doesn't have the ability which is sort of weird so I guess he has the investiture but he doesn't know how is that what that means maybe or Syl interprets it correctly in that he gives this power to his bondsmith, and then his bondsmith can actually make it work. Okay. Uh, talk to objects, like Shallan. <laughs> so, oh, Tori, do you want to go? I, I, I want to give you... I think here we're talking about soul casting. Yes. So Shallan talks to things in Shadesmar, which is just what she can do. Yeah, Syl interprets her 
like the first step of her soul casting as as just yeah she can talk to stuff she can, she can have a conversation with that chair it's cool uh next up is bondsmith's balcony so she flies back to erythiru from the storm and she ends up uh talking to dalinar I'd like this exchange. And I'm kind of wondering if, like, Dalinar's room is the traditional apartments for one of the Bondsmiths. And, and it, and like, the, the, that balcony is actually properly titled from, you know, 3,000 years before as the Bondsmiths balcony. I mean, I figured she knows where Dalinar stays, so it is. Right. Him. She, she's calling it that because he's there. But right. I'm, I'm wondering if, like, that was actually just intended to be. Like, those are the Bondsmith apartments. That's when we've got a Bondsmith, that's where they stay. I know that the Bondsmiths were sort of considered leaders of the Knights Radiant. Like, they, given that there's only three of them and they have very strong abilities based around connection, um, they were typically the leaders and the generals and things like that. So it would make sense that Delinar would happen to choose a room that sort of mimics that function, uh, since he is basically the leader of the Aretharu. So... Yeah, maybe he just chooses the top level and it happened to be that's where the Bondsmith stays. Or, or I guess more specifically, like the one bonded to the Stormfather would be because the other two might have other rooms that speak to them more, you know? Well, and I know it mentions in the um, whichever chamber it was where they have their meetings that there were little pedestals set up for the sprint. So like maybe maybe the Stormfather has his own room in in the tower and and dalinar kind of moved into like when he was looking for a place to stay stormfather was like no that's my room you stay here (laughs) (laughs) i don't think the stormfather has a room but sure well why not more disturbing more disturbing than a glory spread so when sil pops up the people because you know she sort of hides herself uh and she can choose to when to make herself visible and typically when she does that to other people, they jump because they're like, oh, she popped up. But Sprint pop up all the time in front of humans. They yeah, just like I, they appear. I would die on Roshar. I get startled all the freaking time by like normal stuff. And if there were Sprint just showing up all the time, I just, well, I would, I would die. If you grow up with it, though, you might be used to it, which is why oh, Sylvana like... thinks it's weird because they're used to other sprint popping up. But specifically when she does it, they jump. Like if I'm outside, say I'm working in the garden or whatever, and a bug pops up, like I'm generally not going to jump like, oh, there's a stink bug. Oh, there's an ant. Oh, right, there's a whole bunch of ants. Like you expect the bugs to be there. But oh my gosh, it's a giant freaking spider. I'm going to freak out. <laughs> um, but I, th- I think this makes sense because people, you know, understand emotions and that's typically what Sprint are reacting to. So when you're interacting with a person, you can sort of see their emotions. So you sort of expect certain Sprint to pop up, which I think is why it's not weird. When Sylphrena pops up, there's no explanation she just happens to be there at the time and decides to show herself. So I think that's why people jump. But she doesn't quite know or understand that yet because she's still she's still learning. No objection. Wait, wait is that yeah, the just like point? That. Oh, okay. He's doing a Phoenix right thing. Yeah, I gotcha. Phenomenal Bondsmith power. Itty bitty living space. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, so basically, Syl thinks about like what Bondsmiths have done in the past. And apparently they can do all the things, like, yeah, so like literally everything. Th- this ties together what I was discussing in our, co- in our Cosmere Theories 
channel. Connection is super important and powerful, and that is Dalinar's power. It is capital C, Connection. And they are the ones who basically create... I said basically again. They created the Knights Radiant. They were the ones who created the Heralds. They were the ones who somehow got the the people, the humans, from uh, what is it, Ashen over to Roshar. Connection. And then the Nihalbon is a connection. Uh, Relador. Which was the name of Sylphrena's old Knight Radiant, her first one. Yeah, it's not important. I just I just thought it was neat that we now know what his name is. Uh, and then my last one is Dark Brain. That's an apt description. That is Kaladin's depression. And Syl also thinks she has a dark brain. Which is what she suffered when Relador passed away. And Dalinar's, um, Dalinar's advice to Syl was just, 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 just be there for Kaladin. Yeah. You know, just, just try to be, try to be what he needs. Yeah. It's good advice. Dalinar gives good advice. Uh, so that's it. That's my bullet points. And that was the Sylphrena interlude. So there's, there's a lot of information here. Uh, I liked, we had a discussion with the Stormfather, just sort of giving us an idea of, of what Spren are supposed to be like. Uh, but before I touch on the Stormfather thing, I do want to mention that Sylphrena, she, she talks about having her two brains, which is sort of weird. Um, because it would be fine if Sylphrena was the only one who seems, the only honor Spren who seems to have this. But she also mentions that uh, Lopin's Spren might also be similar to her. So the fact that she mentions Rua and doesn't mention the name of Tefspren, whatever whatever her name is, makes me think there is something unusual happening, but I don't quite know what. Or that she and this one other honor Spren are not neurotypical? I don't know. I mean, that's, if it that's was what herself, I got. I would say it's because of what she suffered before with the passing of Relador, but... With Rua also ha- being maybe similar to her and, and her two brains, maybe there's something else. Maybe there's something with the transition from the cognitive over to the physical. Or maybe Spren aren't quite as homogenous as previously claimed. True. Uh, I do believe, though, that Wind Spren and Honor Spren are more similar than what has been told to us in the past. Like, I believe Windsprint, I believe Honorsprint are just intelligent Windsprint or sentient Windsprint. Like, they, as she mentions in the text, uh, in this interlude, these sentient Sprint are only like 10,000 years old. Uh, so, this could be that the Sprint have developed over time, just again, based on what happened in the cognitive realm. And this is evolution this is what has happened to the sprint as time went on because originally we didn't really have sprint on this planet and this is just sort of where investiture collected back back even before the shattering uh i i i believe this is just sort of a natural consequence of of what is happening to sprint and uh, they become more intelligent as time goes on so i i i know it's also mentioned that and this is in in reaction to what we're we're talking about in our spoiler discussion, but uh, maybe maybe a bondsmith or at least playing with connection helped evolve the sprint in this way, or or again maybe this is just sort of life and what happens. But I think I'm going to call it for the week because I believe we've run dry. Yep. So pretty exciting. Bye everybody. Bye. Good night, internet. This has been the Cosmere Deep Dive podcast. Follow us on Twitter at, at @CosmereCast or like us on Facebook. Our theme music is Traveling Made Up Continents by Gillicuddy, used with permission. 
Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening. Thank you.